Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 391 of the Juice Box Podcast. This episode is another in the Pro Tip series. That's right, Jenny Smith is here today. Jenny and I are going to be talking rather loosely, more colloquially, if you will, about the glycemic load and glycemic index. Now, please don't turn off your podcast player. I know that seems boring. But what we're really going to be talking about is understanding that different foods impact blood sugar differently, even if those two foods both have the same amount of carbs in them. This is incredibly important, and it is something that many of you just undervalue. So while you're listening today, please keep in mind that I think this is incredibly important. And also keep in mind that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Today, I've invited Jenny Smith to come back. Do you know Jenny? Jennifer has had type 1 diabetes for 32 years now. Jenny also holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She's a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer on most makes and models of continuous glucose monitors and insulin pumps. So you know Jenny from the Pro Tip episodes and from Defining Diabetes and from Ask Scott and Jenny. I know Jenny from my life, and there's no one I'd rather talk about stuff like this with than her. So today, Jenny and I are going to dig a little deeper into glycemic load and index. There are other episodes that deal with this topic, but it deserves to be in here in the Pro Tip series as well, because so many people think a carb is a carb is a carb, and that's just not the case. Today, I'm going to put the ads up front so that we can talk straight through. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. This is the blood glucose meter that my daughter uses every time she checks her blood sugar, and there's a good reason why. It's not because they're advertisers on the podcast. We had the meter before the podcast ads. The Contour Next One is small, easy to handle, has a beautiful bright light for nighttime viewing, a test strip that allows a second chance blood drop meaning you can go in, get some blood, not enough, and go back without ruining the accuracy of the test. And speaking of accuracy, this thing is gold standard. I trust it implicitly. Contournext.com forward slash juice box. And when you get there, there's going to be a lot more than just the next one meter. Here's some other information you'll find at the website. First of all, Contour makes other meters. I use the next one and I love it, but you may want a different one. That's under the products tab. Under the resource tab, you can get the Contour Diabetes app, which works with the Contour Next One meter. It's really great. Helps you make a ton of sense of your data. Then we get to the meters and test strips tab. Free Contour Next One meter. It's possible. Can you imagine that? That you could be eligible for a free meter. So check it out. There's also a choice card that may help you save on test strips. And of course, support 
if you need it. All of this should be enough. But while you're there, there's one more thing to look into. And it's this. Is it possible that the cash price for the Contour Next One would be cheaper than what you pay through your insurance? Hmm? It is possible. Look into it. So whether you just want the Contour Next One meter, want to read more about how it works, you need to get that app, you want to look at other meters, find out if you're eligible for a free meter, or look into that choice card to save on test trips. Everything you need to know about this is at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Please don't forget to check out touchedbytype1.org. If I'm not mistaken, Dancing for Diabetes is coming up very soon. Check them out, touchedbytype1.org. Also find them on Facebook and Instagram. Last thing before we get going, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. It will take you less than 10 minutes to add yourself or your child's information to the T1D exchange registry. You need to be a U.S. citizen. But once you put that information in there, and it's just, there's the simplest things asking you questions about life with diabetes. And then they use this data to help make better decisions in the world for people with type 1. One example, just one example, is that the data from the T1D exchange led to the ADA lowering target A1C for children. That's a big, important step because of how it impacts the practitioners and how they talk to you about expectations. It seems like one of those things you just kind of wouldn't think about, but they need to happen. T1DExchange.org forward slash juice box. Support the sponsors, support the show. I thank you very much. All that's out of the way now. So let's get to my conversation with Jenny Smith about understanding the difference between one carb and another and the importance of that difference and how it's going to impact your management. I know it sounds convoluted. I know it sounds boring, but it's it's everything. So please listen. Okay, Jenny. So I know how people's minds work. And the problem with this episode is it's going to be incredibly important and they're going to see the title and not listen to it, right? Nobody, I'm just going to curse and I'll bleep it out later. For some reason, you are ignoring glycemic load and glycemic index of foods. You're making me crazy, okay? (laughs) So here's here's the problem. The, the core of this cod, podcast, the concept behind it is, I don't think you should have to limit your diet. The unspoken part of that sentence is, I also don't think you should have a bag of sugar every day. <laughs> like, right? So I, I want you, yeah, listen, if you get crazy one day and you're like, I'm having a Pop-Tart, or I want to eat a bolus cereal, I want you to understand how to bolus for that. That's really at the the reasoning for the podcast at its at its beginning like i said but the amount of people who say hey listen i counted these carbs and it didn't work so i don't know what you want me to do about it well what i want you to do about it is understand that there's a difference between 10 grams of potatoes and 10 grams of sugar and 10 grams of pop tarts and cheerios are the 
I'm fascinated by how many unhealthy foods people think are healthy. Which one jumps into your mind when you say that? Because I think of wheat bread right away. Like somehow it being wheat bread doesn't make it bread. I think of, especially in the past five years, I would say, maybe even more than that. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Go ahead. I think of meal bars. Okay. (laughs) I don't know what else to call them. That's not what I was going to say. Go ahead. It's kind of like the bread idea. Mm -hmm. Just because Wonder Bread now says that it's wheat bread versus white bread, that's like if you want real bread, like go back to Granny. Yeah, bake some bread. How she made her bread, yeah. right? And even you know, breads today being there's a plethora of them mm-hmm. on the market, right? But just because it says wheat bread doesn't mean that it's healthy bread. I mean, if you're talking about like healthy bread, if you're going to eat it, you're talking about the sprouted like low glycemic we'll talk about the glycemics and that's the purpose of this whole episode but right i mean those types of breads the unprocessed you can actually physically see the grains in it or Mm -hmm. the seeds or whatnot there's a big difference between wonder wheat bread and sprouted grain ezekiel bread yeah major difference (laughs) even even when i make bread at the house i'm only just making white bread but it's at least sugar flour yeast Water, butter, that's it. That's what's in it. Yes. Like salt. Excuse me. That's that's what's in it. It's of course the the flour's processed and the sugar's processed, but you you can buy a loaf of wheat bread and the first ingredient is high fructose corn syrup. Right. And people are like, I don't know what happened. Right. <laughs> Right. I do. It's kind of, I do too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of like I said too though, with the bars. People lives are busy today. Mm-hmm. They're very busy. And I actually did a whole like, I think I did a blog post about this actually, or it was in part of our newsletter or something all about like sort of the false advertising of nutrition bars, Mm -hmm. right? You're eating your nutrition bar because it's like, it's low carb or it's low glycemic or it follows your keto plan. You know what? If you're going to follow a plan, follow a plan and eat real food. Most, I say most of the time, like these like 90, 10, 80, 20 kind of most of the time you're doing real food. You know where it came from. Your grandmother could identify it. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee that if I showed my grandmother who is no longer living something like, I'm not going to name a brand, but a general, like a store-bought processed meal bar, she'd be like, what is this? What is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, what is this? Go make yourself a peanut butter sandwich or something, those, you know? <laughs> those so. things are so dense with calories and carbohydrates and all that stuff. My son uses them. So my son does not like to have a full stomach when he's playing baseball, but you can't go play college baseball in the heat without fuel. But right. he can take like a half of one of those bars. And power them through a baseball game. There's so much jammed into it. So he likes them because they don't fill his stomach. But it it goes to show how much fuel is in it and, you know, things that impact your blood sugar. I thought, you know, when you said, you know, a bar, I thought you might say vegan food. And I thought you, uh, vegan diet. And I thought you might say um, no gluten stuff. 
because uh-huh. I had to remember one time they were trying to figure out my iron issue and a doctor said, hey, don't eat gluten for a month. And mm-hmm. in a month of eating not gluten, I gained like eight pounds and I thought, but I'm eating healthier. And then I looked back and I went, no, I'm not. I'm just eating things that don't have gluten in them. Right. Right. Like I right. confused no gluten with health. And my daughter's friend is a vegan, uh, but she's basically a human garbage can. <laughs> like she just, yeah. You know, it's fascinating. It is. I, in terms of, I mean, just those two, vegan or even being vegetarian is kind of the first, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you don't want to eat meat. Great. I, I mean, for the most part, the only animal that I eat is fish. Okay. I don't eat any of the other animals on the planet. I eat fish. It's occasional, not mm-hmm. very often. So for the most part... We are mostly vegetarian. Okay. And, but you could be a very unhealthy vegetarian. You could also be a very unhealthy vegan. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing a heck of a lot of the processed, oh, but it doesn't have any animal based product in it, great. But like, how long has it been sitting in the bag or the box on the shelf just because it doesn't have animal product in it? Yeah. Or, right? I mean, there are healthy ways to be vegetarian or vegan. There are also healthy ways to be on a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the products that are on the market for that type of, a, of an eating fueling plan are very processed. You can be healthy and actually eat good real food on a ketogenic diet or on a vegetarian diet or on a paleo or a caveman diet. But much of the processed stuff that's out there, like you found with the, the um, gluten-free stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of the gluten-free packaged processed stuff, it's made out of very, this brings in glycemic index, Mm. it's made out of very high glycemic, quick impacting, refined carbohydrate, rice flour, tapioca starch, potato flour. I mean, the lower glycemic ones would be things like if it's made out of like an almond flour Mm. um, or like the nut flours or like a coconut flour or something like that. Those tend to be lower impact, lower glycemic, still processed. Yeah. But um, well, the reason I bring it up and I'm sure this happens to you constantly and to me far less because I don't speak to nearly as many people one-on-one as you do, but I am just endlessly inundated with people who want to know, like, I don't understand why this isn't working. I eat healthy. It's almost like when people say, it's almost like when people say to me, oh, my blood sugar got really low. I've learned not to infer what I think of as low into what they say. In the beginning, when someone say to me, oh, I got really low, I'd go right over it. Now I stop and I go, what does that mean? What number is really low? Because sometimes the person will say 85 and I'll go, oh, right. Well, that's not really low. And so it frames my conversation. So when people say, I eat healthy, I do. I'm like, what does that mean? Because I need to understand what you're eating to talk to you about the insulin you're using. Because we did everything right here. Your blood sugar should not be 200 right now. Well, I don't understand. I had a really healthy meal. And then when you talk to them, you know, it's like, oh, I had avocado toast. And you think, oh, well, that does sound healthy. Except, A, they don't know there's carbs in avocados for some reason. They're completely disconcerned with the fat that's in the avocado. And there's high fructose corn syrup in the toast they made. And I'm like, right. yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, right. so so, I I don't care how anyone eats. I would think of myself as the only real diet I stick to is an intermittent schedule. Mm-hmm. I only eat in a certain hours. But other than that. 
in the past week, I've had Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Um, I'm making ribs tonight for dinner, Texas style, in case anyone's wondering, going to smoke them. And, you know, um, I think last night we had, I had chicken parm that I made last night, but keeping with Jenny's point, I made the chicken parm. I took a chicken breast, I hammered it flat, I put breadcrumbs on it and a little tomatoes and and some mozzarella cheese you at least you could see what was on it and you knew what you put in it yeah and i didn't had an idea and i didn't fry it in any of the in i don't use processed oil either Mm -hmm. and the and the 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 olive oil i use is only cold pressed i don't i don't use heat pressed so those are pretty much the only things that i follow and besides taking you know a reasonable amount of like you know vitamins um i don't really do anything differently but i'm also not really interested i'm not trying to impact my weight i just want to be healthy and i want to eat something um and you're not concerned with your own blood sugar overall i mean you're concerned with your daughters but yeah i've worn a glucose monitor a couple of times my body handles my diet so um that that's and i'm not overtaxing it i didn't eat like three pints of ben and jerry's ice cream you know but i think it's also I, i think that actually brings up kind of a good a good visual of the difference between glycemic index and glycemic load when you were wearing that continuous monitor, mm-hmm. I remember you either, te- I think you texted and you texted like how much you physically had to eat in order to get the CGM to register like a bump up in your blood sugar, showing that your body was actually being taxed. It was fascinating, yeah. By the amount that you ate. And that actually speaks to the load impact, Mm -hmm. right? So when we talk about glycemic index and glycemic load, glycemic index is really just, um, it considers the amount of food that you've eaten carbohydrate that will turn into impacting sugar in the next two hours after you consume the food. But that's just the tip of the iceberg in understanding. And that's when, when I talk to people, you know, who are trying to consider glycemic index, I'm like, you have to take it a step step farther. There are depths or there is depth to glycemic index and Mm -hmm. a step farther is glycemic load in terms of glycemic load talks about the amount of the food that you're eating at a particular time. And my favorite example to give is watermelon. Watermelon has a very high glycemic index. Um, If you're not familiar with glycemic index or not quite sure, it's a scale of zero to 100 Mm -hmm. with 100 being pure glucose. So as foods are rated on that scale with a number, the higher the number or the closer to 100, the faster the impact should be on your glucose level. Okay. But again, this is in a simple lab-generated testing, right, where you're only eating, my example, watermelon. You're not eating watermelon on top of chicken parm on top of like a whole stick of butter, right? I I also wonder... Are these things tested on people with diabetes when they come up with the index or people with a working pancreas when they come up with the index? That's Actually, that's a really, I believe a, it was, I believe it's people with a working pancreas yeah. to give a true definition of what the impact could be when sort of outside insulin dosing isn't in the picture. But that is a really good thing. It makes me think it, of maybe looking that up. Here's what it made me wonder about. You know when somebody tries to catch a low by turning their basal off for an hour, and then they create like a void in front of them, a black hole where there's no, and then they have the tiniest bit of carbs. And like my blood sugar shot way up. I don't understand. It, well, 
uh, your pancreas doesn't work. And you took away all the insulin in your body and then added even the tiniest bit of carbs. So the glycemic index of anything away from insulin is probably 100, right? Like everything probably hits like 100 away from insulin. And so when you've got the right amount of basal in, these foods are going to still hit on this chart. And before we go on, like I just, I'm going to roll through it real quick and just pull a couple out to give people an idea. White bread is a 75, right? Um, white rice is a 73. Cornflakes are 81, but an apple's 36, right? Strawberry jam yep. is 49. A potato boiled is 78, but a potato mashed is 87. Mm-hmm. So everything hits differently. And when I stand on stage, I try to simplify it down by saying foods punch at a different weight. Some of them just hit harder than others. And that's the, and and it's interesting too. They have sugars listed out here. Sucrose is 65, glucose is 103, honey is 61, and fructose, if I'm saying that right, is 15. Yeah, and so, because fructose is fruit sugar, and that kind of brings into the treatment for Lowe's then. Mm-hmm. The reason that glucose tablets technically work the best, or anything in which dextrose is one of the first three ingredients in like a, a candy kind of thing, okay. that's the reason it's going to work the best, because glucose is the simplest form of sugar that there is. There's no breakdown to it. It gets in, and it gets distributed and used, whereas something like fructose or galactose, which is milk sugar, um, sucrose, they are more com- they're a more combined chemical sugar structure. So your body has to break it apart to get the glucose out okay. to actually impact the blood sugar. So in a scenario where a person takes a glucose tab and it takes forever for their blood sugar to go back up, but eventually it rockets up, that means they have a lot of active insulin that the tab's fighting with. Is that is that what you would infer from that? That would be the estimate, you know, if there's IOB and there's a load of it and there's a low and you only take one glucose tablet, that's like a drop in like the ocean of impact. The other, the other reason could possibly be whatever's in the stomach already might be hampering the true absorption of that. If the glucose tablet's kind of sitting on top of that digestion and if that other food is really highly fibrous or very high in fat or a lot of protein, it may take longer for that little bit of glucose to definitely impact and get absorbed. Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm sorry, we kind of got away from it for a second, but it all feels really oh. important, you know, that that you can't just, I mean, all carbs aren't created equal, I guess is how I've boiled it down for the podcast. But again, the the amount of you out there who like, like I try to say to people, like when they're really learning about the podcast and they're going through the pro tip episodes and they're getting the ideas down, but they're still spiking and then getting low later. I always say, like, why don't you just simplify your food choices for a little while while you're practicing? You, you, you know what I mean? Like, I think I, I think I said to somebody recently, if you got it in your head that you wanted to learn how to box and you went to the gym a couple of times, you took some sparring and you, you were starting to get confident. Once you had a little bit of confidence under your feet. Your next thought wouldn't be, you know, I had to go find Iron Mike Tyson and see if he wants to go a couple rounds with me because you're not ready for that yet, right? But people make a couple of good boluses in a row and they're like, I'm going to try Cheerios. Like, no, don't try Cheerios. It's day three. (laughs) It's like, you're not good at this yet. You're getting better at it. And so if you're having trouble putting tools into practice, I always say, 
Go for things that are, you know, that don't punch as hard while you're practicing. Cut yourself a break, you know? And also learn, and I think I've said this before too in some other episodes, but learn the foods are the that are most common for you. Take a look at what you love to eat. Write them down. Most people have about 20 foods that are over and over what they eat Figure almost every out. single day, yeah. right? Mark them down. Look up their glycemic index and see... How does it work when you try to cover these foods? Even Mm -hmm. if it's like a meal, let's say you eat chicken and broccoli and rice three nights a week because it's like one of your favorite things in the whole, great, write it down, figure out what you did, what happened, if it, especially if it didn't work the way that you wanted it to work out and then eat it again, you know, two nights from now and try it again. Maybe it was more insulin that you needed. Maybe the timing was a little bit different. Maybe it takes into consideration though, well, gosh, tonight I ate a whole cup of rice with the chicken and the broccoli. And maybe Wednesday night, I decided to eat only a half a cup of the rice with okay. the same amount of chicken and broccoli. So there's the load impact, right? It's the portion of the rice. The rice itself in one cup versus half a cup versus four cups still has the same glycemic index. Mm-hmm. It's That's not going to change. But the load takes into, um, I guess, what you have to pay attention to is you're eating now like a whole cup versus a half a cup. And that load impact is going to then be the big driver of blood sugar after. In fact, you might need to play with timing of the insulin a little bit differently based on portion. Right. And so Jenny brought up earlier that I tried to drive my blood sugar up when I was wearing a glucose monitor. And I obviously don't have diabetes. And I took a I think it was a big piece of cake with a lot of icing on it and I ate it and waited and my blood sugar did not go up very much at all. And I was so you like, had more, right? So I ate, I forced myself for you people. I hope you're happy. Um, <laughs> I forced myself. By the way, I did not enjoy, I did not enjoy the last third of the first piece and I really didn't enjoy the second piece. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, let me get this in. And what did I get to, like 132, something like that, my blood sugar? Yeah, like something like that, I mean, right? it, stayed, it stayed under the defined, like, 140 mark. Yeah. I know, yeah. I, I couldn't eat myself over 140 if I tried. and and But still, I got to 130 in a life where I wasn't getting to 130 a lot. I, I was having to, like, do what Jenny said to get to 130. I was having to stack multiple different tough foods on top of each other like layer them on top of each other's having to have bread with potatoes and then something else and more and more i was i i spent one night i don't know if you know those little spearmint leaf candies that are just like they're just sugar with like they literally they take sugar and then they dip it in sugar you you know um i sat with the glucose monitor in front of me just going like just popping one of those in like every three minutes and my blood sugar would not move off of 89. Like, it just wouldn't move. And I was just like, I, I'm not trying did to make you, people did you jealous. Thank you, pancreas. Did you, I, did I was. You say, thank you, pancreas. Thank you so you much. You know, I, I told you, I, I had a, a deep feeling of guilt eating food and watching my blood sugar not go up. Like, a significant, it makes me sad thinking about it. I, I, I had a real deep feeling of guilt the first number of days I wore it. And mm-hmm. I was just, you know, I'm trying to do these things so I can talk about them on the podcast. And at the same time, I'm looking over at my daughter while we're like correcting a 130 so it doesn't turn into a 170, you know, and um, and I'm just. But anyway, like, let's get back to the fun part. I am throwing these candies into the point where I was like, Ugh, I hate these things now. <laughs> right. And I couldn't get my blood sugar to go up. That was it. 
it was it was pretty fascinating. Um, having said all that, again, I think that the podcast exists because I think people are going to have a candy once in a while. I think that when people look at the you know at Harvard's good you know what you can swap out for lower glycemic index things, and and I think oh I could have corn on the cob or a leafy green or peas. Hmm, you, you know I think most people are like I would like corn. Would you like cornflakes or bran flakes? Well. I want cornflakes, <laughs> you know, um, even white rice to brown rice is, right. you know, now there are ways like you'll learn how to like, for us, we, I've switched the house over just the basmati rice. It just hits Arden differently. Huh. It just does. And who cares why? Like I tried four different rices and I finally got to one and I was like, this is the one that doesn't hit her as hard. This is the one we eat now. Does it differ based on how you cook it or prepare it? I only prepare it one way, Jenny. I have the Zeroshi. Is it Zeroshi? People are making fun of me now. You have a rice steamer? I have the greatest rice steamer on the face of the planet. And let me tell you why I am able to afford this rice steamer. Um, <laughs> I was walking through a Macy's one day, and... They had this little rack of things that had clearly been returned to the store but bought online that they don't stock in the store. Mm -hmm. And so they just want to get rid of it because they have no place to put it. And my eye, luckily for me, is it Zerosh? It's Z-O-J-I-R-U-S-H-I. They make bomb, bomb rice cookers, right? Wow. And my eye catches this rice cooker that I know in my heart costs like $500. And right. And obviously I'm not going to own a $500 rice cooker in my lifetime. No. And I looked over and that thing said 75 bucks and I moved across that store. Like Usain Bolt in his prime. I was like out of the way people. (laughs) And and I, I snatched this box up and I was holding it. I was like hugging it. Like step back. Step I like, everybody just moved. Like I felt like everyone else knew. As I looked around, I realized I was the only one aware that I was holding a very expensive rice cooker with a seventy-five dollar price tag on it. And I actually, it was so crazy. I went over to an employee. And I was like, "This is seventy-five dollars," and she goes, "Yeah." And I went, "I will buy this. Thank you." <laughs> and so I took it. It makes perfect rice. It is fascinating. You put the rice in, you fill the water up to the line that corresponds with the cups, the number of cups of rice you use. You push a button. It plays Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and 55 minutes later, you're eating the best rice you ever had in your entire life. I don't know why it plays Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star when you start it up, but it does. My kids would probably love that. They would think that's... Other than that, I am the worst. I can't make rice. I I screw rice up six ways from Sunday every time I try to make it, so... I rarely have rice. I only have rice when we do sushi. When my son's trying to gain weight, he wants it in the house, too. So I make it, and and it goes in the... um, it goes in the refrigerator and he just adds it to everything he's eating. You know, he's yeah. just constantly- My choice is always my kids love quinoa, thankfully. Um, and then wild rice, which isn't technically even rice, it's it's the seed of a long grass. So there's a little education for you. So. I love I love a nice long rice because I like the, the 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 sort of like, you know, spices that go in with it too. Yeah. But those some they they work glycemically better, and I've just found long term that I mean my family likes it, so it's not like I even have to cook it separate from me and them something like brown rice. So yeah, I can't believe I spent so much time talking about my excitement about getting a cheap rice cooker in this podcast episode. I'm sorry for all that for everyone who's listening. It was like, yeah, buddy, this is not helping me. I'm not buying a five hundred dollar rice cooker. Well, 
Well, maybe, and maybe dude, I started because of the way I asked <laughs> yeah. you how you cooked it. And that does bring in, as you were talking about the glycemic index before about like a baked potato versus a boiled potato versus, you know, the glycemic index can change based on how something is prepared and or how ripe something is. So for example, like your apple that you mentioned before, I think it's in like the 30s or 40s or something, right? Most apples are considered low glycemic. Anything under 50 on the glycemic index scale is considered low glycemic, slow impact. Um, Apples are there. Kiwi fruit is there. Most of the berries are there. Mm -hmm. But then you get into the fruit that you really eat at its peak sweetness, You're talking about the summer melon. You're talking about pineapple, papaya, mango, bananas, grapes, Bing cherries. They're all high glycemic because their sugars are so developed Mm -hmm. to get that flavor that you want. I mean, I guarantee you're not going to eat a, well, some people do. My husband doesn't care. He's one of the people who can eat like a green banana, put it in a smoothie. He doesn't care. He's like the bananas there because I like the nutrition in it. I don't care how it tastes. Right. I cannot eat a green banana. And they, they taste dry on the outside when you're biting them. Do you notice that? Like the outside, you're like, nah, nah, why is that doing that to my mouth? <laughs> that's into my mouth. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish people could see us sometimes with the things that we make when we're talking. Um, but I mean, I bring that in because glycemic index is higher for a riper fruit mm-hmm. and the impact is going to be faster. And I can tell you, if I make a smoothie with a less than ripe banana because it's what we've got and I want a smoothie – the impact is definitely different for me. And I strategize my bolus timing different. Based on that. Based on that. Well, I, you hit one with Arden loves cherries and they, like, I have to like swing cherries. at those with both hands, you know, when you're bolusing, they're, they're really tough. Um, that is, see, I, I find all this fascinating and I, find it sad because I don't think that many people think about it at all. They just count the carbs and then they're like, well, this, I counted the number and the number says 10. And so it's 10. I, I, I'm, I'm just, You're right. you know what I mean? And nobody thinks about the insulin because I don't think about the carbs that much. Like I look at the food and I pick the insulin. I saw somebody the other day, they were, you know, they had this meal and they're like, we use two units or three units. And I was like, well, what is this? Like a, like, I don't understand. Is this like a four-year-old kid? And it wasn't. It was a teen. And I'm like, that's not going to work. And, you know, and then I asked them their ratio and they're like, oh, it's one to 10. And I was like, you think this is 25 carbs? I was like, this is 60 carbs. You, you, you know, like if, right. if it's one, it's 60. And I'd be scared to say 60 as I was looking at it. I was like, I don't know. I might go 70 to be perfectly honest with you. And and right. and they're they're at 20, 30. They're not sure. And then the kid's blood sugar jumps up to 240 and they don't know what happened. And then they're correcting, correcting, correcting. And then the food gets digested out. The kid's crashing down and then they're correcting and then they won't. And it goes back. And it's just, it, it, right. it's never ending. I think, you know, the, the topics of glycemic index and glycemic load are, they really are such, they're kind of the, like further down the road. You're talking about yeah. like just correct carb counting. Get to, that squared yeah, away. Right. That is step number one. Get get some carb counting. Get some labels read. Even if you have to do portion estimation, that's mm-hmm. your tool that you're – get good at portion estimation then for, again, those foods that are on your – these are the typical things that I eat. Great. Then we can move on further to things like glycemic index, glycemic load, a little bit better bolus timing, um, 
And then you kind of that maybe another step further is how was it cooked, right? Am I boiling my potatoes or am I baking my potatoes? Am I, you know, eating a green banana? Am I eating a completely black banana? <laughs> you know? Well, you're, you're hitting on something that I know I want to talk about on the podcast more with you in the future, which is uh, after speaking to so many people, like I realized that there's a, an order in which you should pay attention to things when you're starting. Right. Right. And like in an overly simplistic way, <clears throat> like I always say, if I was, um, if I was on the Titanic and I was sinking and you, you, you somehow recognize me as a person who could help people with diabetes. You're like, Scott, I have a tape recorder. You have 30 seconds. What do you want to tell people about type one diabetes? I'd say, get your basal insulin, right? Learn how long your pre-bolus is and then understand the glycemic load and index of food. And then I would, go under and freeze to death and drown. But but those are like if the if I could only say those things to you, like three things to you, I'd say that. And right. then from there I'd start talking about, well, it's timing and amount, you know, and you can't forget about overnight this happens and, you know, protein and fat cause rises. Like there's the variables. I just think of it as the seed of the idea. Like I always think of like management of diabetes is a tree. It's a hundred year old tree with a thousand branches and Every point of that tree is important, but at its core, at its seed, it's basil. And then it's, you have to pre-bolus. And then it's, you have to understand the impact of the food. Like that's the start of it. You never, but I see so many people who are out on the tip of the 700th branch going, I really want to understand this part. And I was like, there's a lot more to understand before you dig into that. Y right. You know, Let's start back at the trunk. <laughs> and, and here's the problem, right? No one tells you to pre-bolus. No one ever tells you basal insulin is important. And the words glycemic index and glycemic load are not sexy, and I don't like to pay attention to them when I hear them. My brain goes, eh, boring. That's for people who eat good. Like, that's how it made me feel when somebody said it to me in a doctor's office one day. I'm not trying to run a marathon. I don't care about glycemic load. It, they Instead of saying, hey, you over here, these are the three most important things you need to understand. They told me the most important things and then moved on to stuff that right. doesn't matter as much. So not that it, none of it matters. It all matters. But there's a core of it. And if you do the core, you're okay. I'm telling you, basal, prebolus, glycemic load, glycemic index is an A1C in the sixes. That's my guess. You want it in the fives? Start crawling out on the edges of the tree and figure out the rest of it. But- this is it. Add right exercise. Here. Yeah. Get a pump and go for a walk. Like there's, I could say stuff all day, but you know, right. stop eating Pop-Tarts and telling me like, it's not fair. I can't have, of course it's not fair. Pop-Tarts are poison. <laughs> can't remember the last time I had a Pop-Tart. They're probably not food. Probably college because there was like nothing left in the cafeteria or something. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, I have to eat something. But aside, I don't have a pump. I have to cover my insulin. Jenny, aside of that, if you want to eat a goddamn Pop-Tart, eat it. I don't care. Just don't act like you don't understand what happened afterwards because that makes right. me sad. <laughs> like I just – you're killing me online, okay? You're putting things up online and you're making me sad because I want to come say all this stuff to you. I don't have time and you're breaking my heart. So – and and when I, when I help people privately, some people get it more quickly and some people get it slowly and then some people give it away. Like after they know it and I've seen them do it and then they stop doing it. I'm just going to tell you, like, I don't follow many people's Dexcoms, and when I do, I don't for long. But when I do, 
and I've seen you do it, and I've seen you understand it, and then you have a 300 blood sugar, I got to stop following you. It just, it breaks my heart. Like, I just can't, like, it eats me up inside, you know? I look at the graph, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, they didn't pre-ball us. Or why are they not correct? Or it could have this? been a bad pump site. Or it could listen, it could have been anything. The problem is it's, it's just it's ripping my guts out. I can't look at it anymore. Like with my daughter, I can do something about it. Like it if is, I, it's it's hard to follow people. I agree. I mean, with the with the many, many, many people mm-hmm. <laughs> that I see their data. Yeah. Uh it is. It's hard because and I think, you know, there's there's no there's no stop to like my job isn't like I go to the office, I do my job, I put everything away, I close the door, and then I go home, right? (laughs) Like the people that I work with become like, they're almost like family to me, right? They're people that I I care about the people that I get the privilege to work with and help. And I want the best. And I sometimes I feel like... (laughs) I could just like go home with everybody. <laughs> I, I just I texted a person this sometimes. morning and I said, if you could just come here for, I think, 18 hours, I could just do this for you and you could see. But they and they know what to do and they won't do it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it, it is really. I Listen, I'm not trying to turn this. But it's hard on me. Like, it mm-hmm. really does. Like, it just rips me up. Like, I'm like, you're, you keep making the same mistake over and over again, but it's not out of ignorance you you quite honestly know not to do it and you just i don't know if it's fear or habits what. are hard to break yeah or habits are hard to break but you're just you're doing the wrong thing like it's yeah. and i've told you it's the wrong thing 10 different ways and each time i say it you say i understand i now I, you know what it is i now know what my wife feels like when she's talking to me <laughs> <laughs> it must be kelly i'm so sorry it must be incredibly frustrating <laughs> To say the same thing to me a million times and me go, no, no, I understand. I 100% understand. And then three days later, I'm just doing it again. But, but, and so it's like, I don't mean to come down on people. I'm not trying to come down on people. I'm just saying that Jenny's not wrong. Like following someone's blood sugar is, it's a lot. And it's tough too when, like, I don't think I know everything. And I, but, it's tough when you look at a graph and you go, hey, you know what? You need more basil. And they go, no, you know what I think? And I th- I always think to myself, I actually started saying it out loud. I started going like, why don't we stop worrying about what you think? Because what you think led to this graph I'm looking at. Right. <laughs> like, you know, So right. try what I think for a second and see what happens. That's Just even- try it my way for a little bit, please. Yeah, here. And I'll, listen, I'm going to cost Jenny some money and save all of you an hour paying her. Freddie? Stop explaining to Jenny what you think. Let her tell you what's going on <laughs> because you're just in therapy at that point, and that's not getting you to a better blood sugar, I don't think. You know what I mean, right? How many stories yeah. do people tell you where you're just like, stop talking. This doesn't matter. <laughs> Lots. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a marriage of what I see, and sometimes it's adding in then what they've seen, but they're addressing a certain way because they think something's happening that isn't really the reason for it. So it's kind of a marriage of what I see and how to tell them about what to do differently. It's not that what you're seeing is wrong. It's that the adjustments are not quite the right adjustment. You're 100% right. And I was being too flippant. Like You do need to hear it from them, but it's fascinating how infrequently their interpretation of what they're seeing is right. Right. You know, you need to you need to hear what's happening. You don't need their interpretation of what's happening right. as much. It's right. it's interesting. Anyway, it's like it's like trying to do, I don't know. It, it's it's the weirdest customer service in the world. Like IT people, 
this is like that, except times like a million. So anyway, Jenny has to go. She's she's oh, I do drop bombs of knowledge and truth all over this episode. Uh, so I, I really appreciate Yay. that. I, yeah. I will talk to you soon. Cool. Awesome. Huge thanks to Jenny Smith. Hey, Jenny, services are for hire. You can find out more about her at Integrated Diabetes. There's a link right there in the show notes. There's also a link for the Contour Next One Meter, Touched by Type 1, the T1D Exchange, and all of the other sponsors of the various podcast episodes. That includes Omnipod, Dexcom, and Gvoke Glucagon. All right there. Right there, right there, right there in your podcast player notes. Those links are also available at juiceboxpodcast.com. But I'm going to roll through them really quickly for you, just in case. And then I'm going to do a little freeform chatting about this topic. All right, ready? Touchedbytype1.org, contournext.com forward slash juicebox, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox, and the other sponsors that aren't in that aren't on this episode, but are still incredibly important. Dexcom is available at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. You can get a free, no obligation of the Omnipod at myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And learn more about Gvoke Glucagon at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Okay, now, almost everyone who uses insulin runs into this specific problem. And that problem is this. You count your carbs, you put in your insulin, and everything goes exactly the way you expect. Next day, you make a meal, you count your carbs, you put in your insulin, and nothing goes the way you expect. Your blood sugar gets low later, or it gets incredibly high. This is confusing, because yesterday I counted my carbs, I put in my insulin, and everything worked. Today I did it again. Some of you will question your carb counting skills. When this happens, some of you will run out and buy a very expensive scale. Very few people say to themselves, I bet the glycemic load of the food was greater or lesser than the glycemic load of the food from yesterday. Now, you wouldn't think that because nobody tells you to think it or they say it to you soon after you've been diagnosed and you feel like somebody just hit you in the head with a baseball bat, so you're not really listening, or the words glycemic load and glycemic index seem difficult or maybe next level or whatever, but it's not. It's very simple. Some foods impact blood sugar differently, even if their carb count is the same. That's it. You just have to see it happen, accept that it's true, remember, and adjust your insulin for that food. That's what this entire episode told you. That very simple idea. You make yourself meatloaf and mashed potatoes, you put some broccoli with it, you count the carbs, And somehow you've decided it's, I don't know, I'm making up a number. It's 40 carbs, which by the way, it's more. And you give yourself your insulin, your blood sugar shoots up. Later, you correct with, I don't know, a couple more units. Your blood sugar comes back down. It doesn't get low. The next time you have mashed potatoes and meatloaf and broccoli and you count the carbs and you come up with 40 again, you have to remember the two units you corrected with. 
you have to remember that those two units belong in the initial bolus. Maybe not every drop of two units, but pretty close. The reason I say that is because once you have a higher number, it takes more insulin to bring it down. But some of that insulin, if it was in the initial bolus, the spike would not have happened from these potatoes. And by the way, later the fat and protein in the meat that keeps your blood sugar higher later, which, you know, you need to go listen to the fat and protein pro tip episode to understand that. So the next time you have this meal, I don't care what the carb count says. You have to trust that what you know is going to happen is going to happen. So all these little sayings and isms that you hear throughout the show, they're really just shortcuts to understanding that there is a different glycemic load from food to food to food. Because the next day, you could have a meal with 40 carbs in it that doesn't have those starchy potatoes in them, and I don't know, wasn't mixed with a fat and a protein, and all that insulin could end up being too much. Now your meal ratio works. So what you're hearing is that your meal ratio isn't set in stone. It's all dependent on the foods you're eating. The glycemic load and the glycemic index of the foods. But, you know, you can go check it out if you want. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll find the chart that Jenny and I were talking about from Harvard right now. I'll find it right now for you. And I'm typing, so I'm vamping a little, trying to kill time. Because I don't feel like editing this part out. You're looking for a link called A Good Guide to Carbs, the Glycemic Index from Harvard Health Publishing, and a link called Glycemic Index for 60 Plus Foods, which will give you an idea of what we're talking about. That white bread punches different than corn tortillas. That sweet corn punches different than porridge. That an orange raw hits you differently than a potato boiled which, by the way, hits you differently than a potato mashed, which, by the way, hits you differently than a potato fried. These are the things you need to understand. When you're watching your blood sugars move all over the place, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you love to hear people say, oh, you know that about diabetes. One day everything just works, and the next day it doesn't. It's not really true. If you had the right ratio of insulin, it would work every day. That is true. I promise you. All right, I'll put links in the show notes to those two blog posts from Harvard. I hope you're enjoying the pro tip episodes. If this was the first one you heard, you're probably like, you should definitely go back to episode 210 and start at the beginning. Diabetes pro tip, newly diagnosed, we're starting over. And then listen through those pro tips. The pro tips are also available at diabetesprotip.com. But, you know, listen through your podcast app because that's how kids do things and they know way better about technology than us. Thanks for listening. I genuinely appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon.